Very good morning, church. Morning, good to see all of you here. Uh, I thought we can begin today by looking yet at another painting, right? You can uh, take a look at the screen. Have you all seen this painting before? Probably not many have, huh? because uh, this is not yet a famous, expensive painting yet, right? This is done by one of our staff, uh, Patricia, in 2020. Uh, and then she was reflecting and uh, contemplating on a Beatitude verse. Uh, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then the parable of the pearl of great price came to her. And then so she put them together in this painting, right? And it conveys the idea that Paul was able to go through the persecution he did because he had Jesus as his pole of great price. Isn't it beautiful? Can we give her a round of applause? You know, right, so today we are going to look at the parable of the hidden treasure and the pole of great price in Matthew 13. Uh, and at first, I wanted to just ask someone to draw out, you know, the parable. This, maybe I can use it as a background for the slide. Uh, and then sometimes I will fade it and put it at the background for the slide. So, but I thought again, you know, it's... Maybe if they have to put in the time and energy and effort to go and do it, right? And then I just put it uh, as a faded background. It may not be worth it for them, right? So thankfully, one of our staff told me about the painting you saw earlier. And so I use it for the slides today. Right, and the title for today's sermon is The Worthy Gospel. Right, it is worth it. And I wanted to ask ourselves, right? We can just think about this today, right? Is it worth it, right, to live the gospel? Is it worth it? to share the gospel. Because we often don't do things when we find that it is not worth our effort. Right? So today, is the gospel worth it to you? Right? Our passage for today is taken from Matthew 13, verses 44 to 46. Uh, let's read it together. It's on the screen. Right? One, two, three. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field where a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. And let us pray. I may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my God, my Redeemer. Amen. Right before we dive into that parable, I'll bring us through the wider context of Matthew 13. There are seven parables in this chapter. And our parables today are right in the middle of the seven. Right? While the different parables can be read separately, uh, seeing how they fit together right, in the context here, right, uh, it can help us to better appreciate what the writer was trying to say. So I've laid out the seven parables on the screen for us to take a look. These are all the seven parables uh, and the accompanying uh, verses there. And many, many scholars call this chapter the uh, parabolic uh, discourse, right? Or, or in uh, other words, it's uh, the discourse on parables. Right? So when we look at the whole chapter, well, we'll notice that, wow, there is a lot of parables, right? There are seven there uh, that you can see up here. And I believe this is not done haphazardly, right? For sure. When Matthew strings them together like this in one place, I think it is a sign for us to pay attention. Right? And to properly catch Matthew's big picture in this chapter, uh, we'll need to do a little bit of study, right? So which I've uh, kind of uh, uh, done a bit for you. Where we have, I've summarized for us the gist of the parables here, and you can see them listed on the screen, right? So the, 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 the summary of the, each of the parable uh, is, is given there. And if you look at the screen, right, they have a little bit of color coding there, you can see that there's definitely some repetition going on, right? Uh, and it resembles a chiastic structure, right? Something which we have mentioned before a number of times in our sermon. Basically, uh, it's this shape. There's like a hamburger where the main idea, right, is found right in the middle, just like the meat patty. And then you have got the surrounding parallel ideas at the both ends, just like the burger buns, right? So you can see here, right, the, there's a, the parable of the weeds and the parable uh, of the nets are very similar. So they are like the burger buns on the top and at the bottom, and in the middle, you have got two pairs of similar parables, right? The parable um, of the mustard seed and leaven, and then the next pair, the parable of the hidden treasure and pearl of great value. Right, so what does that mean? Right, so I think, right, you can see the first parable, the parable of the sower, which I talked about, uh, I think, two or three weeks ago. Right, that is a bit like the introduction. Right, and then the other six parables in, the, in, in this hamburger structure here, right, uh, is, uh, is, is the rest of the message. And all the parables here, right, they begin with this phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like, right? So that tells us their purpose is to illustrate the kingdom of heaven. Or in other words, right, that's the gospel. 
And from these parables here, right, we are going to very quickly pick out four things that the writer wants to tell us about the gospel, right? Uh, you can see all on the screen. The first thing, uh, all are called to respond, right? All are called to respond. Uh, that's, uh, and, and to be fruitful. That's from the parable of the sower. But there, the second point, right? But there will be mixed responses to the gospel, right? That's where, uh, what the parable of the weeds and the nets tell us. And the third thing, nonetheless, the gospel will continue to advance even when it is not always visibly obvious. There's a parable of the mustard seed and uh, leaven. And the fourth one is that the value of the gospel lies in the surpassing value of God's kingdom. Right? These are the parables that we are, two parables we are looking at today. The last point here, right, I would say is the highlight, or you can say that's the secret sauce to the burger. And one of my favorite food, right, in Singapore, it's uh, laksa. Right? How many of you here like laksa? Show of hands. It's always a fan favorite. Every time I do an icebreaker with uh, a lot of groups, right, many people raise up their hands when we talk about laksa. But do you all know the origins of laksa? Not very interested, because uh, we only want to eat. We don't care about history. Eh? I'm not very sure myself also, right? But I suspect, right, they may start off as gangster food, right? Because there's 328 Katong Laksa, right? 363 uh, Katong Laksa, there's 928 Yishun Laksa, right? All the different numbers, right? Like the secret society. But the one I like, right, is actually the 928 uh, Yishun Laksa. And because it's a little bit different from the rest, right? And it's also found in Yishun, uh, where there are all the strange things happen, right? And the reason for the special taste, right, lies in their special sambal chili sauce. Right? So if you don't eat chili, you may think that actually this one is only okay. Uh. But if you like chili, because the chili inside, right, is packed with heavy, you know, it's not just normal chili, but they put a lot of heavy inside. So when you add the, 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 the chili in, right, and you add a lot, it's like eating laksa kao, right? And uh, nowhere, you cannot find laksa kao anywhere, so that's the only place. <laughs> that's why I like it, right? That's the special sauce that they use. And the secret sauce here, Right, secret sauce here to receiving and responding well to the gospel seems to lie in our parables here today. Right, the parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl of great value. And the reason why some are able to receive the gospel and bear fruit with the gospel, that they are able to see the surpassing value of God's kingdom, right, is because they don't see God's kingdom as just another good thing. Right, but they see it as the best thing ever. Right, it is the treasure above all treasure and the pearl above all pearls. You know, while we are all called to respond and obey in the first parable, right, our two parables today tell us that when we respond and obey, right, we are responding and obeying to something infinitely superior. Right, we are receiving God's kingdom that is worth far more than anything else in the world. Right, in other words, the parables are telling us that it makes sense. Right, it makes sense for us to obey God because it is worth it. Right, that's our first point for today, right? The gospel is worthy of our response. Right, the gospel is worth it. And recently I realized that if you want to know the best credit card deals, right, you need to talk to those couples uh, who are planning to get married soon. Right, because they would have done all their homework on the internet right, to know which are the credit cards to use, which are the best ones for most cashback or most miles or whatever you, know, uh, you prefer. Can I have a show of hands here? Right? How many of you constantly keep yourselves updated on the best credit card deals out there? Raise your hands. Nobody, uh, because not many people getting married here. <laughs> but you know this information is not difficult to get, right? Because you just Google, and then you cross-check a little bit, right? And then you, to make sure it's up to date, and then you can easily find out, right, which are the best credit cards uh, for whatever purpose you want. Yet, right, many of us don't get ourselves updated on it. You know, why is that the case? Right, it's very simple, because we don't find that it is worth it. Right, we, we might have researched it some time ago, right, when we first applied for the cards, and then now we already have our, our own cards, right? We are comfortable with what we have. So most of us won't bother to keep ourselves updated again for the best deals, right? Because maybe we don't need an extra uh, suitcase or an extra freebie here and there. And the additional benefit we get, right, is perhaps too small. So not worth it to make any changes. Right, sometimes when we look at what God asks us to do, right, we can, we can see, right, we can see that it's for our benefit. There is a good thing there. But we may find that the benefit is not big enough for us to pay the cost. Right? So for, for example, right, we all know the benefits of cell group. Right? Cell group is to be part of a community to support and love one another. Right? But the cost is that it takes our time and energy. Right? So we weigh the two. Right? And then sometimes we think, hey, I think this week right, I can do without the support and the love. Huh? So I'll give it a miss. 
We also know the benefits of reading the Bible, right? It helps us to know God better, and we know that we are supposed to hear from Him through His Word. Right, but the cost, again, right, is perhaps our rest time, our sleeping time, or our entertainment time. Right, so we, again, we weigh the pros and cons, and sometimes we think, you know, yeah, actually, I already know God, right? I, I also know He loves me. I know He can speak to me. I also hear from Him before. So today, I think, maybe don't need it. Right, today, now Christmas season, I'll go Christmas shopping instead. You know, we seem to know the benefits, but there are not always big enough incentives for us. Well, it's like if you see a 10 cent coin, right? Then you drop, and then you roll down under the table, right? And then it's like, oh no, you have to go and stretch to reach for it. Many of us may not be bothered to bend down to go and pick it up. Right? So the issue here is whether, are we able to see the treasure for its surpassing value? Right? The, the, the pearl for its vastly superior value that makes it worth it for us to pay the cost. Right, do we see a 10 cent coin or an invaluable treasure? Right, this brings us to our second point today. That the gospel right, is not just worth it, but it is infinitely more worthy than anything else. You know, for the man in the parable, uh, in the parables to sell all they had, it's not just because the, the treasure and pearl are of higher value, right, but it's because they are of a much, much, much higher value that it would not make sense for them to not do it. It's like, if I ask you to give up your wallet, right? You won't just give your wallet away for no reason. But if I say, if you give me your wallet, you get $1 million in return. Then you're like, okay, let, let me give you your wallet. Of course you'll do it, right? Because nowadays, right, the wallet also got no money, man. Cashless society. Right, and the big disparity between what you pay and what you get is meant to illustrate to us that the gospel is infinitely more worthy than anything we have. And this idea of surpassing worth right, reminds us of yet another passage in John chapter 12, verse 3, right, where the text says, Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment right, made from pure nut and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with the hair. And the word expensive here right, is the same word, right, in Greek, is the same word used to describe the pole of great value. They are basically conveying the idea of surpassing worth. Now, we often say that the gospel is good, but good is not necessarily surpassing worth. And good is not always good enough. Because how many of, you, uh, uh, how many of us here like good food? Again, it's uh, everybody, uh, uh, most people. And do you know which, is the, which are the best restaurants in Singapore? You know, the highest rated ones. If we go by the Michelin stars, right, uh, based on the 2023 list, uh, there are three of them. There is, there, there is uh, Le Amis, there is uh, Odette, and there is also Zen. And I have not tried any of them. I'm also not particularly keen to try. You know, while, while, while many of us raise our hands to say, okay, we like good food, I suppose not all have tried these top restaurants, right? Not many are also intending to try. And according to Google, right, the, the average cost of eating at a three-star Michelin restaurant, right, is about $500. Well, is it expensive? But do you have $500? Then you don't need to raise hands, huh? <laughs> do you have $500? I guess most of us have $500, right? Because our handphones probably already cost around there, and some might be even more expensive. But why don't everyone who likes good food go to these expensive restaurants? Because I think the issue is not whether it is good, right? If they are high, rated highly, I'm sure, right, we, we all agree, right, they, they must be good in some sense. Right? But the issue is not whether it's good enough, right, or, or worth it, but it's actually about whether it's worth it enough, is whether it's worth it for us to spend our money. Right? In other words, whether when we consider whether to go, we don't just consider the quality, the, the food, right? we also consider the price. And most often, right, the cost is a bigger consideration than the benefit. Uh, you know, last, uh, yesterday, before I came for the 2.30 service, I was at Vivo City and I, I needed to get my lunch Right, so I didn't have much time, so I thought I will get this, uh, this get get this bubble tea. Uh, it's a soya milk drink from this place called Mighty Soya Bean, right at Vivo City Level Two. Right, I thought that would be my lunch, so I went to buy this uh, soya bean drink, and then they say, "Oh, now there is a promotion, right? You can uh, this promotion is very interesting. You can play scissors paper stone with them, right? If you win the scissors paper stone, right, you'll get an extra cup. Not bad, right? But if you lose the scissors paper stone, right, you have to pay double." I was thinking, this is such a strange way. Why do you include that last part there? I don't know how many people will actually go and play it, right? 
Uh, and if if uh, if we go by the research, right, I think not many people will participate. Right? Basically, I mean, this has been researched in psychology and in economics. Right? There is a guy named uh, Daniel Kahneman, right? And he used an interesting experiment to illustrate this idea. Right? Suppose you are offered a gamble, right, on the toss of a coin. Right? If the coin shows tails, you lose one hundred dollars. Right? But if it shows heads, you win one hundred fifty dollars. Okay. So will you take up the gamble? How many of you say yes? All, all, all cannot raise hand because Christians don't gamble. Eh? <laughs> and based on the surveys right, conducted, most people actually won't choose to take out the bet. Right? Even though it seems like you can stand to win more than you lose. Right? But why is that the case? Because the psychology of this is that most people are naturally loss-averse. Right? We don't like to lose. We don't like to pay costs. We don't like to suffer losses. Right? And in the experiment, the pain of losing $100 far outweighs the pleasure of winning $150. Right? The pain of spending $500 right? far outweighs the pleasure of eating at a three-star Michelin-star restaurant. And have you ever wondered right, how much more valuable is the treasure and the pole compared to what the man sold? Right? Would it make sense for the man in the parables to sell all they had right, if the treasure and the pole are of the same value, exactly the same value as whatever they sold? It doesn't make sense, right? If it's the same value, why, why do you want to do that? What if the, the treasure and the pole are just worth $1 more? Right? Would, would, you, would, you, would they sell it? What, about if, what if it is $100 more? Or what if it is about $1,000 more? Right? At which point would it be worth it to pay the cost? You know, I would like to ask us again today, is the gospel worthy of our response? Right? Is it worth it? To obey God. You know, in the case of the parables, the man saw that the worth of the treasure and the pearl far exceeded what they paid. Right? In Mary's case, she saw that worshipping the Lord far surpassed the cost of a year's wages. When we share the gospel with people, right, sometimes one, of, one response that we often hear is that, you know, uh, all religions are good. Right? All religions are good. And they don't disagree that Jesus is good. You say Jesus is good. Yeah, Jesus is good. But good is usually not good enough for them to want to follow Jesus. Right? In the coin experiment you saw earlier, uh, the research found that most people will be willing to take up the bet only when you raise the winning amount to at least $200. Right? So in order to overcome the risk of losing $100. So I want to suggest to us, right, that if the cost of the gospel, imagine if the cost of the gospel is, say, $100. Right? What, what God is giving us is not like $200, you know? is actually more like $1 billion. It's far, far more than what we are giving. It is gloriously far more superior. So if we can see the surpassing and exceeding goodness of the gospel, then we'll be willing to pay the cost. Right? That brings us to our third point today. Right? The, the gospel is more worthy than the cost. There's a cost. But we often say that the gospel is free, right? In one sense, that is true because there is no explicit price. You cannot pay a price tag, right? But in another sense, right, there is a cost, right? In economics, they call this the opportunity cost. That means to receive this, you are foregoing other things, right? You don't need to pay a price, but if you choose this, you can't concurrently choose other things, right? So in another sense, the cost of the gospel, right? The cost of the gospel is uh, the other things, uh, the things that you cannot choose, Right, so that, that is, in a sense, the cost. And the, this kind of cost are costs that everyone can pay. Right? There's no such thing as, oh, I'm too poor. Because you can pay opportunity costs. The, the question is just whether you are willing to pay or not. Because, in an example, right, if you come to this service, right, it's free. Right? There's no entrance fee. But by coming here, you cannot be somewhere else. Right? You cannot be sleeping at home. You cannot be going out with your friends. Right? So, whether to pay or not, it is up to you. But it is definitely free. Right, in Exodus 33, God told the Israelites that He will fulfill His promise to them and they can go to the land flowing with milk and honey and He will even send an angel before them to drive out all their enemies. Right, but the only downside to that is that God will not go with them. Right, you can see the verses on the screen. Right, I, w- I won't read it out to you. We can quickly just glance through it. Right? That is uh, Exodus 33 that um, many of us have read before. And if you look at it, right, I think it is a pretty good deal. Right, because you are getting the promised land that God told you, and God is sending an angel before you. Right, and God is not going. Right? That, that's not bad, right? Because uh, it's like your form teacher is not in class. Huh? Parents not at home. We can do anything you want. 
Right? If it were you, will you take up the deal? Right? We know Moses' response, right? Moses didn't take up the deal. And you can look at the, the verses on the screen as well. Right? Moses' response to God is, if you don't go, we also don't want to go. Right? The cost of taking up the deal and going to the promised land Right? Uh, actually, it's, it's free because God asked them to go. But the opportunity cost, Moses could see it right away. Right? It is that God will not be with them. And that is an absolute deal breaker for him. So Moses rejected the deal because he wanted God more than the blessings. He would rather pay the opportunity cost of the land flowing with milk and honey, the victory over all the enemies in the land, and the, and the prosperity they would have in a place like that. But the secret sauce right, to being able to respond well to the gospel is seeing the surpassing value of God and His kingdom. Right, that begins with acknowledging that, firstly, the gospel is worthy of our response. Right, but that alone is not enough. We need to see that the gospel is not just worthy, but it's infinitely more worthy than anything else. And if we truly see its value, right, then we can see that the gospel is more worthy than the cost and be willing to do anything for it. So how can we, how can we apply this? Now, most believers, and perhaps even some pre-believers, we will agree with point one. Why the gospel is good, right? it is worthy, but whether it is worthy or not, I'm not sure. It's like sometimes we watch a YouTube video, right? Uh, and we enjoy it, we, like, we, we find it, wow, this is not bad, right? Then maybe you may click like. Right? But if you like it a little bit more, you have seen uh, a number of videos from this person, then you may click follow, you may follow the channel. Right? But if you really enjoy it so much, right? Then you'll click subscribe. And the rightful response to the gospel today is not to like, it's not to follow, not to comment, right? It's to subscribe. Right, Mark 3, 7 tells us that after Jesus did his miracles, right, a great crowd followed, right, from Galilee and Judea. So the crowd liked Jesus, the crowd followed Jesus, but they unfollowed him later at different points in time. You know, so if the content creators and social media, media channels that we watch today, right, they would like us to subscribe. All the videos will ask you to like here, subscribe here. If they want us to subscribe because they want us to be notified at the first instance whenever they post something. Imagine how much more would God want us to be tuned in and fully subscribe to Him. Right, I hope you can see that the crux of the message here is that we need to value God and His kingdom so much that we will pay any cost and follow him all the way. And for that, we have, I've got three suggestions for us to apply today. Right, the first is that we need to experience the joy of the Lord. I, I think we have gone through a little bit of uh, thinking right, this morning, and to consider and to weigh. And I hope that logically by now, you would agree with me that, yeah, yes, right, God and gospel, is, they are infinitely valuable. At least up here, right, you, you should agree with me. But actually, this logical understanding alone will not automatically help us pay the price. Right? Because for people like uh, Mary, Moses, the men in the parables, and many others that we have read in the Bible, right, you don't see them uh, just doing a cost-benefit analysis at a point, and then they, before they make uh, the decision. Right? It's not an act of discipline or willpower here, although in other parts of the Bible you do see that struggle. Uh, but at the same time, right, these people that we have read, they willingly and they joyfully chose Right, because they are deeply convicted that basically there is no comparison at all. There's nothing much to compare or to, to, to weigh. And I'm not saying that we cannot struggle because we are all on a journey, but we should long for the deeper conviction that will help us to struggle less, that will help us to in reflex respond and obey. Right, in Matthew 13 verse 44, it tells us that the man, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has. And then this joy is not only at the very end when he finally owned the treasure, you know? But some of us think that we can only have joy at the end of our walk when we see Jesus face to face. But this is not true. We will have the fullest and the most complete joy in the age to come. That's why in this season in Advent, we are looking forward right, to the fullest joy when Jesus returns. But right now, we can still celebrate, right? We can still have the joy of the Lord. In Matthew 13, there are two places where the word joy is mentioned. Right, the first was in the parable of the sower, right, where the one sown on rocky ground initially hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Right, but the Bible says that they fall away shortly because he has no root. And then the second time joy was mentioned uh, is in the parable that we read today. 
So two different kinds of joy. My friends, I would like to suggest to us that the joy of the Lord is not just about emotion. Right? It's not about, oh, going with your feelings, you feel happy, then you do it. The two kinds of joy that we see here in Matthew 13, right? The first one is a joy that has got no roots, while the second one is a joy that enables sacrifice. I think we all need to experience the kind of joy that enables us to give our all to God. And that is the joy of the Lord. But the root that we see in the parable of the soul, I think it refers to anchoring into the words that were sown, right? Based on the context. So in other words, the kind of joy we want is the kind, is, is the kind of joy that's rooted, right, in what God has told us. Basically, His encouragement to us, right, His truth to us, His promises for us, right, His hope for us, all these things that were said in the Bible. Right, and when we find joy in these things, right, we have a joy that's rooted in the Lord. And it is the kind of joy that we want to enable and empower our giving to God. Right in Isaiah 55, we also see a similar kind of joy. I'll read to us uh, those few verses. Right, he, Isaiah says, "Right, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food." Right, the interesting choice of words here I picked out here. In other words, buy and spend money. Because Isaiah was asking the people to come and buy. Right, but you don't need money to buy. So I think it's quite similar to what we have talked about, right? It is free, but there are some costs, opportunity costs that you must be willing to pay. And the imagery here of what you can buy is rich food, which you can delight yourselves in. You can enjoy this rich food. We are all called to buy to find joy in the rich things of God. So verse 2 goes on to elaborate a little bit more on what, what does this buying entail? How to buy? There's basically two things, right? First, it says listen diligently and then you got to eat what is good. Right? Then you can enjoy. Then you can delight. Yeah, if you don't eat, how you enjoy, right? You're looking at the food, it's not very enjoyable. Right? So list, the, the first thing, listen diligently, right? In Hebrew, right, uh, the, the, the actual word is actually shema, shema. I think Reverend Chris said that before, right? Uh, the, it's translated as listening diligently, but in the original language, it is shema, shema, or hear, hear. Right? So in Hebrew, when it's being repeated like this, uh, uh, in, in the grammar, when it's repeated, it means that you take it seriously. So hear, hear means seriously listen, seriously hear. Right? So the first step is to hear, pay attention, right? Go, uh, and and uh, listen to what God is saying. Second thing is that we are to eat. Well, in short, eating, I think, is asking us to try. You must try it. You must experience it. Don't just look at the food. Like all those Instagram photos, right? You look at it already, also, you also won't be full. You also won't feel satisfied. Right? You must try the food first, then you'll uh, see whether it's nice. So you got to sample it. You need to try it for yourself. You know, my son, Judah, uh, loves to eat. I think I say this a number of times. <laughs> but he's not always keen to try new food. And uh, that day, I brought him to eat dim sum for the first time. You know, when we were there, I wanted to let him try siu mai. Because I, I think I know that he would like it. Because he likes pork, he likes to eat meat. right? So by right, he should like to eat, eat that siu mai. So I cut out a small piece for him, but he refused to eat. When I asked him to eat it, try it, and he's like, oh no, 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 this is not nice. Not nice, not nice, I don't want. So I have to uh, you know, convince him. I say, okay, maybe you try a small piece. So I took a small piece, put it inside his mouth. Then immediately he spit it out. I said, no, not nice. Okay? He didn't even try, he didn't even taste. And I say it's not nice. So once again, I have to like, you know, oh, do my thing, try to uh, persuade him. And eventually, when I coax, coax him to, you know, take it for a second time, so he, he started to bite it, right, taste it, and then I say, Papa, it's very nice. You know, sometimes, right, in our Christian walk, it's a little bit like this. We want to be on the fences, right? Um, and then we hear, right, uh, other believers tell us, you know, come and try, you know, pray to God, right, experience God, come for our services, come to cell group. And then you feel that, like, hey, I already tried before, already, I, don't, I won't like it one, I won't like it one. But actually, trying uh, got different levels. Uh. You must really try, uh, then you can uh, experience. Right? If you're like my son, you just put it in your mouth, you spit it out like this, right? You can't really experience. The Bible says, taste and see that the God is good. Right? Eat what is good. Only when we eat and taste, then we can tell. How sweet are your words to my taste? Sweeter than honey to my mouth. Where we ask to eat and taste because we are meant to delight ourselves in rich food that God has prepared for us. It's like the laksa kao, very kao one. 
And I believe Moses was able to immediately give up the promised land for God because he has tasted and seen. Right? He has delighted in the rich joy of the Lord. And to him, there's no comparison. Right? Imagine this. How can you come to this place where you can immediately give this, these things up if you have not experienced it for yourself that it is so, so good? Would a theory make you give it up? You must have got that deep conviction that comes from experience, right? Exodus 33 verse 13 to 15 tells us that Moses wanted to be in God's presence and his favor because that's what he had experienced many times in all the chapters before that. You know, he spoke with God many times in his presence and he heard from him. He experienced God's favor in his many miracles that brought them out of Egypt and sustained them in the desert. And all these experiences right, led Moses to have a deep conviction that God's presence and his favor is the real joy. Right, not the physical, material blessings of the land. You know, but as stubborn, sinful, mortal creatures, right, even though we might have experienced, right, we sometimes still forget. That's the story of the Bible. <laughs> right, it's a record of Israel experiencing God's goodness and then forgetting about them. So I think it's not only important to experience and re-experience, but to also constantly remember. Right, the second application for us today is to remember. Right, remember the joy of the Lord. There are many places in the Bible where we see this kind of joy that Mary, Moses, and the men in the parables had. But I think the best example, well, it has to be in our Lord Jesus Christ, right, who paid the cost in joy too. Right, Hebrews 12 too, one of my favorite verses. Where it says very clearly that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. As, and we have seen this earlier, right? It's not the flippant kind of joy when you get when you eat ice cream. Wow, I'm very happy. Or watch Korean drama. Right, but it is a kind of joy that is rooted in being deeply satisfied in God and the things of God. Right, for the joy set before him, the, the phrase set before, right, literally means place right before your eyes. Right, and figuratively, I think that means that Jesus was focusing on and remembering the joy. And what is this joy about? What do you think? Is it that he's thinking, oh, finally can pang kang, can go home already, right? I go back to my palace. No, it's like sometimes uh, when I go outside, uh, uh, then I, I got a stomach ache, right? Then I don't want to do it outside. So I'm thinking, I must quickly go home, then I can go to my throne at home. You know, So I, I don't think this is the kind of joy that Jesus was looking at. He's not looking to you know, oh, just escape and go back to his palace. I think the joy that he was looking at, many places in the Bible. If you look at the parables in Luke 15, there's a parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the prodigal son. At the end of that, right, it tells us that there is great joy and there's celebration. And the joy and celebration is clearly for the salvation of souls. And Jesus himself said in those parables that there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And again, later part in the verses, he says that there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So all these talk about joy. And it seems to me that the joy that Jesus was looking at right before his eyes on the cross. It's the joy of the salvation of repentant sinners. What are you seeing, all of us? You know, Hebrews 12, 2 tells us that Jesus was thinking of us and in fact was figuratively looking at us on the cross. And there was Jesus' joy by right? looking at welcoming us into his kingdom. So when I say focus on the joy of the Lord, right, I mean to focus on and remember God himself, who he is, as well as the things he has done and he has promised to do. I think when we focus on these things, we'll be reminded and filled again with joy, the deep satisfaction in God and the things of God. You know, uh, I think, is it two weeks ago, Reverend Joel preached this sermon and I was so impacted by it. He mentioned, he talked about the cross of Calvary. You all remember? The cross of Calvary is such a tough price to pay. And he said that it's enabled by the grace of Gethsemane. Right, because there was grace that he prayed. You get a grace to go through the cross of Calvary. And I would like to tell us this morning that it doesn't end on the cross of Calvary. It doesn't end with a price. Right? It, it ends with the joy of Jesus. Right? So there's the cross at Calvary enabled by the grace at Gethsemane, which will lead you to the joy of Jesus. Right, right at the cross there, Jesus had joy. And those of, all, those of us, you know, those of you who know, a few of you who knew me for a while, uh, I think you, you know that I have uh, an uh, irrational fear of heights. Uh, so I don't like heights. So I cannot be in high places. 
And last time, when, wherever I go to, you know, gardens by the bay with my wife, Joy, um, she'll ask me to go out, you know, walk the canopy walk thing with her. Uh, but I'll always refuse her uh, because I know I cannot. And I've been on uh, these kind of high places before. And I literally will have these uh, psychosomatic symptoms. Last time when I was a teacher, I was called to go uh, to Singapore Flyer. I didn't think much about it. But when I was up there, I was like frozen in the middle. I was sitting down waiting for the whole half an hour to end. So I got like increased heart rate and then uh, breathing faster and all that. And I will even feel giddy, lightheaded. And it will persist for maybe 20 minutes, 30 minutes after I come down still. It also is not a nice experience for me. You know, but recently when we went again to Gardens by the Bay, right, this time with my uh, son Judah, you know, he was very excited to go onto the canopy walk. And all along I've been conscious, right, to not influence him with my fears, right? So if, if there's something that I don't like or I, I'm, I'm afraid of, I wouldn't say it, right? I, I will try to encourage him so that he, he can experience things for himself as well. So when he says, oh, uh, he, he wants to go, he's excited, right? I will, then I also, you know, Pretend to be very excited. I say, wow, yeah, let's go, let's go. Right, it's so exciting. Then immediately after I say, right, I'm like, wow, thinking, well, how, how do I escape? Maybe I should tell him, well, I, I need to go to the toilet. Maybe mama will bring you. <laughs> but, but I don't know what over, overcame me that day, right? I just, okay, let's go, let's go. Then I stepped out. And once you take a few steps, you're on that walk already, right? It's uh, kind of like no turning back, like following Jesus. Uh. <laughs> then, uh, so, you, you know, well, I was walking. Then I was like, oh, no. I started to regret, right? I, all the symptoms are slowly creeping in. I can feel like my heart rate beating faster. I was breathing a lot, a lot faster and was like my feet, my, my legs were a bit wobbly already. Then I thought, wow, oh, I cannot, I need to, you know. So I started to focus talking to my son and I just like in a sense psyched myself up. Wow, so exciting. Look at the thing in front, you know. But I wasn't looking like I was just talking to him, looking at his face, right? So I just trying to be excited all the time. And I was disciplining myself not to look down at all. Even though in the peripheral vision, I can still see glimpses of that, that immediately I must shut it out. Because once I see roughly, wow, it's a bit high, right? Wow, I get giddy again. <laughs> so I kept going, I kept talking to my son, I keep going faster wherever possible. And eventually, I went through, right? It's, it's still quite an ordeal looking back. Uh, but I managed to do it. And I guess what helped was that I was focusing on trying to just, you know, in a sense, enjoying this time with my son and deliberately trying not to focus on the fears and the obstacles. Right, obviously, this is a very imperfect analogy. But there are some parallels to our walk with God. Right? I think we need to focus on the joy that He intends for us. Right? Not the fears and the obstacles that we will see. And they are definitely there along the way. But we are not to focus on them. We are to remember God and His purposes and let Him anchor us in His joy. And the last application I have for us is to share. Right? To share the joy of the Lord. Right? In Matthew 26, when Mary broke the alabaster jar and worshipped the Lord with the expensive perfume, Jesus calls what Mary did a beautiful thing in verse 10. It's a beautiful thing. There is nothing substantive achieved with what she did. Right? No one was healed. Right? Uh, no one was saved. No one was particularly impacted per se. Right? In fact, the disciples were put off by that. But she was just worshipping in the joy of the Lord and Jesus calls that beautiful. You know, sometimes when we think about uh, sharing, right, we sharing the gospel, we might be very focused on the doing, right? Uh, okay, what we need to do, how to say, uh, what we need to do. But I want to encourage us today that what is beautiful to the Lord is not how good you are doing it, right? But that in doing it, you are worshipping and delighting yourself in Him. I think what it is, it is, it is such a great compliment for the beautiful Savior, right, to call you Beautiful. To call what you give beautiful. That's something, right? Because it tells you that you're on the right track. Right? You're doing well. And in verse 13, Jesus says that wherever this gospel, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will and be told in memory of her. This gospel. Right here, Jesus is putting what Mary did, right, side by side with his gospel message. Because what Mary did, right, her act of giving, whatever it costs just to worship Him, this is one of the best illustrations of the gospel. There were no words spoken, but whenever the gospel is proclaimed, Jesus says, mention this as well. These two comes side by side. The good news is about God's kingdom, right? and we have access to this kingdom because of what Jesus has done in giving Himself to bring us into His presence and in His favour. But at the same time, right, there's this joy that we have in worshipping. Right? So it comes side by side. Even as we delight and enjoy and savor how good God is, the passage tells us that this joy is meant to accompany the proclamation of the gospel to others. 
So on our end, we should continue to enjoy, continue to experience, continue to remember the joy of the Lord, but we also need to share. Right? In fact, as we continue to remember and experience such joy, it's also concurrently a reminder for us to also share. And it's through such sharing, right, that our joy in the Lord is deepened. And if you want it to be a reflex, right, just like how Moses responds in reflex, if you want it to be deepened and it forms in us a certain kind of response to see that it's infinitely worthy and far surpassing any other thing, then I think we need to practice sharing. Right, the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 2 2 that it will complete his joy, right, if the church has the same mind and same love as him for the things of God. So I suppose a large part of it includes sharing with the lost. Right? It will complete his joy if you do that. In John 15 verse 11, Jesus himself says that if we remain in him and be fruitful, and we know power of being fruitful is to continue to share, our joy will be full. Right? So how do you complete your joy? How do you increase your joy? How do you let your joy be full to the extent that you see that the gospel is the biggest thing ever? Right? It is to continue to do the works by sharing. And I think this increasing fullness of joy is the increasing ability and reflects to see that the gospel is infinitely worthy and it will come to us more and more as we share. You know, we, Christmas is next week and I know that many of us, you know, have, you have invited your friends and family for our services and perhaps also for your own Christmas uh, parties and I want to encourage us that even as we share the gospel, remember to share the joy, right? Don't just share the words and just follow through the motion. Share with them the joy as well. The gospel is good news because it's meant to bring us true, lasting, deep joy. And the best way to illustrate this gospel is to constantly experience and remember this joy for ourselves as well. I would like to end with a, with a story right, of a missionary friend that I had. Because uh, to me, that's in a sense like a real-life version of a man who sold all that he had, like the man in, a, in the parable. Right, so he became a missionary uh, several years, quite many years ago. Uh, and when he became a missionary, when he told his father that he wanted to leave Singapore uh, and uh, be at this place, his father was very, very upset with him because his, his father wasn't a believer, so he couldn't understand uh, what, what he was doing. But what he was giving up at that point in time, right? he, he gave up basically his, uh, he was a government scholar, so he gave up um, probably a high-paying job and the prospects. Uh, and at the same time, uh, his father also had a very successful business, was one of the top few uh, companies of that industry. Right, so the father was like, you don't want to work in the government, you can work for me, right? But you give up both of these things to go into this place to do, he doesn't know what he was doing. Basically, nothing that pays very well. So the father was very upset. And to my friend, he, he, he willingly paid that cost. He counted the cost, right, just like the, the merchant. The merchant is somebody who, who, who is actually going to find the best deal. So he was counting the cost, he was looking at this and he says, yeah, it is worth it, I want to do this. Right, so he, he, in a sense, gave up and he went to the field. Right? And he was there for a number of years. And eventually, after that, he came back to Singapore because there was a time where his father's health wasn't uh, doing well. So he came back uh, to, to, to Singapore. And then since he's back in Singapore, he decided to help uh, his father in his business. So he went to work for his father uh, in, the, in the company uh, and then uh, taking care of his father. And after a while, right, his, his father passed on. So he thought that, okay, now that my father passed away already, then uh, the reason for me to be back here is no longer here. I can go out again. Right? I'm ready to go out again. And he thought, wow, this time round, better. Like, like in a sense, no, no, nothing to hold me back. And moreover, my father was a rich man, right? He, he, he passed away. Uh, he thought that maybe with the inheritance as well, right, he can, uh, use, he can use it to start ministries. He can use it to start things. And he doesn't have to worry about finances as well. well but what came as a surprise to him was that after a while, he realized that his father left him with nothing. Right? Although he was a rich man, in his will, he left him nothing. Because his father expected that he would give to the church. But his father didn't want him to give to the church, so he left him with nothing. Uh, with a clause to say, perhaps he will take care of his medical expenses and any kind of stuff. But he left him with basically nothing. So he, he, he was thinking, initially, he already paid the cost. He was willing to pay the cost for Jesus and he goes, right? And now this thing happened. And he had to grapple with it. Can you imagine if, right, if God was not his treasure, if the things of God were actually only good, maybe very good, but not the, of surpassing worth, how would he feel at that point in time and what would he have done? 
I suppose he would have just said that this this whole thing this is bad, man. Right? I gave up everything, and in, in the end, I is is this is why I get in return. I don't want to follow God already. No point doing all these things for what? No, but the interesting thing was the the good thing here for us. I think hope to encourage us was that that wasn't what he did. Of course, there was a period of time he was struggling. He was wondering, well, I didn't. Why did that happen? But after that, he came to terms with it, and he was joyful because he thought that it was a privilege to be being brought to this place again. That Jesus can show him that actually now you fully experience for yourself this joy. Right, fully experience for yourself that it is worth it to pay the cost. You have paid the cost last time, right? But now you can really say to yourself and you know it for yourself that you can pay this price joyfully. And then that was such a wonderful picture to me. In the beginning, he was like the merchant, right? He was searching, he, he paid the cost actively. And at the end, he kind of like, he was like the guy uh, who uncovered the treasure in the field. He chanced upon it. He wasn't looking for it. And he realized, oh, it's such joy. And for, for us, some of us can be like either of the men, right? Some of us are actively looking for what is the truth out there, right? What is the religion that I can follow? Or what can I do? You are like the merchant, right? And you actively do your homework. You visit, visit maybe different places to find the place that can give you that rest, that peace that you are looking for. But some of us, we are not really looking. But one day, we will stumble upon this treasure, that will bring you great joy. And regardless of which group you are, right today, I want to tell you that the gospel is of surpassing value and they will bring you true lasting joy. Amen. Can I invite all of you to stand? I would like to speak to two groups of people today. Can I just ask you to just bow your heads, every head bow, every eye closed? The first group that I want to speak to are those who have never known Jesus but you have never given your life to Him. You have heard about Him, but you never really consider it worthwhile because, wow, why would you want to pay that cost? But today you are hearing that Jesus is saying, come and taste, right? Come and experience. Come and try this joy for yourself. But if that's you today and you want to accept this invitation to try and experience God, can I just invite you to raise your hands? Anyone here? Right, and the second group of people I want to speak to are those who are currently struggling to experience and remember the joy of the Lord. Right, the message today tells us that the gospel is more worthy than any cost. Right, but today you struggle and you long for that joy again. Right, if that's you, later on as we worship, I invite you to just come forward to the front. We would like to pray with you. Shall we just respond to the Lord with this song in worship? Exceedingly great reward. Come and be my exceedingly great reward. Know the treasure that I have given all life for. What would it profit me to gain the world but lose my soul? I know my life is not my own. If you like to receive prayer, if you are struggling and you want to receive from the Lord today, 
right? As we sing the chorus one more time, come forward to the front and I sense this word for you. Psalm 51, it says here, that create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. If that's you today, you want to be restored to the joy of salvation, come forward to the front. The pastors are in front. Uh, as we worship, we would like to pray with you. God, we just want to thank you this morning, Lord. Lord, we want to ask, God, that you come and be our exceedingly great reward. We want to see you not just as a good thing, but the greatest thing. So, Lord, we pray, God, that whatever seeds that you have sown in our hearts today, Lord, we pray that would you water it and you bring us to the place where we are truly, savoringly enjoying the true fullness of your joy, Lord. So Lord, and uh, as, as we enter into this season, Lord, we also pray, God, that you help us be able to share our joy with the people around us because you are the greatest joy giver. And let, us, let me just give us a benediction as well. Right? May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. Amen. Right? If you need prayer, please come forward to the front. Service is over. See you next week. There's also a word for healing. If you have a tailbone, a pain in your tailbone, uh, there's a word for the Lord's healing for you. You can also come forward and receive God's healing today.